be enough. That, can I just be honest with you? That's, that's a lot easier to sing than it is to live. That's, that's a lot easier to sing than to live at times, isn't it? You know, it's easier to say than to live, too. Uh, but it is a reality. It is true. It's biblical. It's scriptural. It's the truth. Thank God for the truth. Amen. When we're not feeling like it, we know it. The Word of God says it. First Timothy chapter 6 tonight. Again, we're in our Timothy study. We're kind of running right on through it. And so we're going to read, begin reading in First Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We've gotten through five chapters in probably, um, I don't know, the last year or so. I don't know. Off and on. You know how it is. We've been kind of off and on, you know. But we're getting there. We're making progress. 
and uh, it's I, I I've liked it. I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed it. <laughs> but anyway, First Timothy chapter six, beginning in verse one and two. Oh, by the way, do you know that that uh, teaching and preaching is really not for your enjoyment? Right. You ever you ever really yeah. think about that for a minute? It's really not. It's for your edification. It's for your, you know, for instruction. It's for inspiration. It's for encouragement. It's for, you know, just to prepare us and ready us. It's to keep us going. Uh, but really, I mean, God's not as concerned about us enjoying. Boy, let me tell you, if, if that isn't true, boy, are we going to get an eye-opener today? Today's verses are really going to be tough. They're, they're tough ones. Yeah. But we're going to realize that God has a bigger purpose than our comfort and our convenience. Amen. We're going to see that today. And, and it's, a, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow, maybe. I hope it's not, but it could be. But we'll see. Notes 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read just two verses. Before we read, we have a young man here. And, of course, he's pastoring the church at Ephesus. And, of course, the Apostle Paul is his mentor and um, the people that he's pastoring were saved out of a very wicked lifestyle. And in most cases, they were older than he was. As a result of that, he was sure to have some people that were somewhat leery and concerned about his leadership and his ability. They were possibly even critical of him as a leader. Paul knew that the church at Ephesus had its challenges and in spite of all of that, he still sent Timothy to pastor it. And he told Timothy to prepare for opposition, to be ready to face whatever came his way. So Paul, as we mentioned and has, have noted, gave him some practical pointers, at ways in which he could somehow overcome the challenges he would face. And we noted that Paul made it clear from the very beginning of his letter that apostates... And their misguided and worldly doctrine would continue to raise its ugly head and be brought to the forefront in that ministry. There would be a battle to be fought along the way, and Timothy would have to boldly stand. He tells them to refuse profane and old wise fables and to keep his and his people's focus on the Word of God, the truth. He tells them to exercise himself rather unto godliness. In exercising your body, of course, we noted... In the Word of God, even that's profitable, but it's not as profitable. It's not nearly as profitable as exercising your spiritual self. He encourages them to remain faithful in the work of God, to labor and suffer reproach while trusting in the living God. He then instructs them to be an example of the believer. An example of the believer in word and conversation, charity, spirit, faith, and purity. Timothy was to reflect the character, compassion, and the conduct that every believer should possess and that every believer should display before a world that is in need of Jesus Christ. To be a man of God exercising true religion. Not what we call religion. Not simply hypocrisy. Not simply hiding behind the guise of Christianity and yet walking in the flesh. He would encourage him to keep growing, to never stop growing, growing mentally by expanding his horizons, by reading not just the Word of God, but works worthy of reading. 
He would encourage him to keep growing ministerially by continuing to exhort the saints and to expound the scriptures. He then encourages him to meditate upon these things, to give himself wholly to them, and to continue in them. You know, it's often the case that we know what we should do. And we got a pretty good handle on some of that. It's doing it that is the difficult part, isn't it? And then it's sometimes it's not even as difficult to start it as it is to continue it. And he's telling Timothy, listen, you meditate upon these things, you give yourself wholly to them, and then you continue in them. That's, that's a tall order right there. Of course, through chapter 5, we noted that he discussed some relationships between the people of God within the context of the local church. Then we noted also that he began to deal with preachers or pastors, and he talked about their particular situations. And we know from the time we spent there that there's a grave responsibility there. Now we arrive at chapter 6 as he's continuing to help the people of God in this aspect of the church and uh, how to live the Christian life and be successful in the Christian life and how to overcome the obstacles of the Christian life. And we arrive at chapter 6 and we read in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. In the early days of the church, in the There was a high percentage of believers that were slaves. I mean slaves. I'm talking about they had bad employers. They were slaves. And these are the ones that Paul is addressing now. And he's talking to his protege, Timothy. He's talking to the pastor at Ephesus. He's helping his son in the faith. And he's saying, now listen, Timothy, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Most of these particular Christians or believers, they had unsaved masters. They had masters who knew nothing of Christ, who cared nothing for Christ, and wanted nothing to do with Christ. Some of the masters were kind. Some of them were somewhat considerate. But then on the other hand, there were those that were extremely cruel. There were some that were fair, if you count being a, a, you know, if you're a slave and you say, wow, my master is fair. Uh, There were fair masters. But then there were others that were simply tyrants. I'm sure it goes without saying that Slaves had no rights, and that was the case in the Roman Empire. They had no real rights. Sometimes they had privileges, but their legal status was extremely clear. They were pieces of property. They were bought and paid for, body, and from their master's perspective, in many cases, soul as well. So how was a Christian slave to act toward an unsaved master. And that's what Paul is addressing now. 
And that's what we're going to look at today in the passage. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd help us today. We desperately need you. And we pray, Father, that you would encourage us in your word. May we as believers appropriate this passage to our life, apply it to our life. Father, the reality is, is that there are injustices everywhere in the world. There always have been, there always will be. But Lord, the key is, is that we as believers must respond to them accordingly. We must respond as you would have us. Help us, Lord, to respond properly as believers today to the adversities that we face. Well, thank you and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. What we understand from the passage is that whether a person is a slave or a free person, it is of the utmost importance that the person does nothing to disgrace or dishonor the gospel and thus hinder the salvation of even the most cruel master. That's what we find here. Now again, as I said, this is not going to be necessarily an easy topic because we are in a different generation, a different time, and we see things from a different perspective. But may I say that biblically and scripturally what we're going to find here is that, well, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow it to some degree because slavery was, and in many cases around the world is, extremely acceptable. Now, again, I want to address the elephant in the room. The Constitution of the Roman Empire upheld slavery. It was that simple. It's interesting to note that Paul, nor the Lord Jesus Christ, nor to my knowledge anyone else in the Bible, ever called for the, abol the, the, abol the, uh, the abolishment of slavery. No one did. I don't ever read it. I never see it in the Bible. And in this particular case, it's obvious Paul never did. Or at least he certainly wasn't doing it at this point, that's for sure. Now again, that could be perceived by some as an endorsement for slavery. That, oh boy, that Paul, he, he endorses slavery. That Paul, he, he agrees with slavery. And boy, I'll tell you what, there were those in even early America that jumped on board, and I'm sure they used passages like this to justify what was going on in America. But I don't believe that was the case at all. Paul's heart went out to slaves. Matter of fact, he struck at the very heart of this issue in his letter to Philemon. Oh, I know that he sent Omnisimus back to Philemon. I understand this was a runaway slave that had, freed, didn't, had, had gotten away and he was now free. And as a matter of fact, according to Jewish law, Paul wasn't really permitted by Jewish law to send him back to his master. And yet he sent him back to his master. But what did he ask his master to do? If you really look at the passage, what you find him saying to the master basically is, listen, you're both brothers in Christ. Why don't you just... And he don't come right out and say it, but you definitely feel him saying... Why don't you free him? Why don't you just free him? See, I don't believe Paul ever wanted slavery. I don't believe God wants slavery. I don't think that's ever been the case. I don't think it will ever be the case. But it was the case in Rome when the early church was formed. Paul never tried to change the law. Never. Instead, he tried to change the hearts of both the slave and the owner. That's what he did. 
Now, Paul was convinced that slavery was rooted in sin. And his instruction in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I believe were in keeping with his personal conviction concerning this issue. I mean, the social ills had certainly made their, had wreaked their havoc on Rome, just like social ills wreaked their havoc on America. But Paul realized that there was a spiritual cause to these problems. That it was a bigger issue than just today, now, and the world we live in. That it was a heart issue, a spiritual issue, and even a spiritual battle taking place. Paul understood that slavery in his day was embedded in the culture. That it was entrenched in the financial fabric of the society even. That it was considered invaluable, a tool, an invaluable tool to the population. He understood that. He was wise and he realized that real change is not brought about by mere protest and retaliation. He understood that. He knew that there were laws in place to put a slave in his place. And if the people of God would have stood up in those days and said, we will not be a slave anymore, they'd say, okay, let's see how that's going to work. But hold on, there was a bigger issue at stake than just their freedom. This is where we need to understand how God sees things. And how God perceives things. And what is important and valuable to God above all else. See, Paul knew that a slave who projected Christ, who radiated the life of Christ, was far more likely to see his circumstances change than was a slave who was rude, hostile, and a menace to his, his master. A slave that had a good spirit and a good attitude was more likely to see his unsaved master Get saved. See, that's what it was really about. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's a tough pill to swallow in our culture today. You mean to tell me that you're telling me God was more concerned with a slave master being saved than he was with a slave being freed? I'm just reading what the Bible says that slaves are to do. That's all I'm doing. I'm not... I'm not making a judgment call on God because I'll be honest with you, He's a lot bigger than me and He can do whatever He wants. But it seems to me that God is a little bit, God's very concerned with the souls of men and women. That's what it seems like to me. So much so that He wants change to be brought about, but He wants change to be brought about starting in here. That's where the change begins. Paul wasn't ignorant of what was going on. And Paul certainly wasn't seeking the approval of the Roman regime. Paul was acting out of inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was simply following God's word. He's, he's what I want you to write, Paul. Okay, got it. I'll give it. And then he sends it to Timothy and says, guess what? You're pastoring a people who predominantly are slaves. And this is what you're going to have to tell them. Because there's something bigger at stake than their personal comfort. That's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? 
And you say, but anything but that. Anything but that. Okay, God gives you cancer today. Is that okay? You say, anything but, wait a second. You're going to die from cancer or be a slave. Which would you choose? And listen, God's asking us to do the same thing he asked those slaves to do. He's basically asking us to do the exact same thing in our life. And he's asking us to do it with a good attitude. Now that's a tough pill to swallow too. That's a tough one. The word yoke here, he says under the yoke in chapter 6 verse 1. He says, excuse me, he says, let as many servants as are under the yoke. Again, you know, it's implying this aspect of bondage and the bondage was harsh and it was difficult. That, that yoke, we think of a yoke and we think of those ox or horses that are yoked together. And, and when they're yoked together, they're yoked together for a purpose, to do the will of their master. And they have a burden on them. Paul was well aware of the burden and Paul was well aware of the hurt and the heartache that slavery caused. And I, I'm telling you, I don't believe for a minute that Paul was for slavery. Not at all. And I'm confident God isn't. However, the world is not a fair place. It never has been and it never will be. And when God looks at the world, he sees it differently most of the time than we do. He sees it one soul at a time and he recognizes that every last person needs to be saved. And it doesn't matter how wicked we consider them, how vile and wretched we may view them. The reality is is that God loves them too. There's not one terrorist on the watch list that God doesn't want saved as much as he wants your little grandbaby or child saved. And we say, no, but they're murderers. Yes, so are we. We put him on the Calvary. We put him on the cross. Are you kidding me? Now, I'm not saying that we... We just dismiss their actions. I'm not saying that we don't address the issues. I'm not saying that we don't try to better our, our society and our culture. Without a doubt, we do those things. But hold on again. Let's not lose sight of what the real issue is. God's issues. The human spirit, by nature, revolts against any kind of servitude. Let's just, you know, that's the truth, isn't it? I mean... Because of that, again, these slave owners, they um, had a way of breaking slaves. They had means to get it done. And they had the backing of their government and the backing of their culture and the backing of the people. And so, therefore, if Paul would have said, let's all revolt, they'd have wiped them out. And not only that, where would that have left the Romans as far as Christ is concerned? No witness, no testimony of Christ. And that would not have been good. Now that's not, again, it's not easy to accept, but it is a reality we see in Scripture under those circumstances, that situation. He's saying, listen, 
I don't want you to revolt. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to argue and fight with your masters. I want you to submit to them, and I want you to be the best slave you can be. You say, that's ridiculous. That's the Bible. That's what he says in those days. Now, do I believe that we should endorse slavery because in those days it was rooted in the culture? In those days it was socially acceptable? In those days it was the early church and the church was just starting to form in its infancy and the testimony of Christ was so volatile that Paul said, listen, we have a bigger responsibility than our personal comfort and ease, our personal freedoms even, We are already bond slaves in Christ. Therefore, be everything you should be to elevate Christ, to glorify the Lord. And when people go, how is it you can have a good attitude towards your master? How can you possibly do what he or she tells you to do? Because I'm doing it for him. And there there was a world, the Bible said, that was reached because of these believers. The Bible says the world was turned upside down. It would have probably been turned upside down for a very short period of time. Or at least a portion of the world would have been if they would have revolted. But instead they didn't. And they followed God's command. And the whole world was affected spiritually. And the world was reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. Rome fell. Doesn't bother me a bit that Rome fell. They were wicked, insensitive, selfish, all about themselves. Sound a little like America today? What's going to happen to our country? If it happens to that country, it will happen to us if we don't watch it. If we give up righteousness, if we give up holiness, if we give up godliness, if we give up the Word of God, let me tell you, don't think it's only going to get better because we're going to throw money at education. We're going to throw money at this and throw money at that. It's not going to work. Never has, never will. Paul understood that. The Holy Spirit of God directed in such a way that the world would be reached. See, the truth is that although the bondage was without a doubt bitter, God had higher purposes than emancipating slaves. He was at work emancipating sinners. And the emancipation of slaves would follow as a result. Because when a man's heart, a woman's heart gets changed, Christ lives in it, he sees the world different. He sees people differently. He recognizes that all men as our Constitution, or as the Declaration of Independence says, are created equal. We have a government throwing all that out the window today. And that all people have a right to pursue something. Happiness? Success? Prosperity? They're not guaranteed it, but they have the right to pursue it. Rome said nobody has a right. They're not, we're not created equal. I'll tell you something. We got problems when we start messing around with God's word and start throwing it out because the human heart is very sinful and wicked. It's very selfish. 
And a human heart can look at another man and say, he's nothing. Bow down and worship me. But a child of God who truly has the heart and the mind of Christ will say, no, my brother, we are on an equal plane. There's a difference. And Paul was trying to, the, the Holy Spirit under, Paul under inspiration, the Holy Spirit was saying, listen, there's a bigger picture here. There's much more at stake here than just the temporary release of slaves or emancipation of slaves. There is the emancipation of souls. We've got to reach the world. If we can change the hearts of man, we'll change their environment and we'll change their culture. We'll change their society. See, the United States of America doesn't need a new president. That's not going to fix our problem. They need a God. This one of the Bible. Not the gods that are coming into our country. And not the gods that are being made up in the minds of men and women. I'm talking about the God that has been proven and tested to be faithful through all these years. The God in heaven, the creator. This is the God we need. And we can go ahead and we can discuss politics and discuss social issues and try to fix all the problems of this world. But the reality is, is that, listen, don't tell me you are for change in our culture if you aren't for winning souls. Because that's what the Apostle Paul said was the key to everything. Reaching men one soul at a time. Reaching women one soul at a time. Getting out there and making an impact in our culture by giving up the gospel and then teaching and training them to have the mind of Christ. That's the tool for social change. That's the wheels that get it going. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, we say. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's easy for us to throw that verse around today. And we do throw it around. You know, we find ourselves in a tough spot. You know, like, we, you know, we're, our finances are a little tight. Man, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. I can just get some overtime. I'm just saying, we, we say these words, I can do all things through Christ. And then the moment something comes up in our life, it seems we fail miserably most of the time. The New Testament saint was being instructed and commanded to submit to the sad and likely cruel treatment of a wicked master. Paul was telling them to extend honor to those who extended nothing but hurt to them in most cases. You know, they were men and women just like you and I. They were slaves, mere property, and yet they were to overcome their fleshly desire to oppose, to rebel, to kick, to scream, to protest, but they were told. They were to honor and happily serve their master. So what do we learn? Well, let me tell you, the believer is capable of the impossible. Because to me, I don't know about you, but that seems impossible right there. I mean, that seems like an impossible. Are you kidding me? You honestly are telling me to honor, to serve gladly, a master? Somebody that thinks I'm simply a piece of meat? That I'm just simply 
at their disposal that I can, they, they can treat me however they choose. Are you nuts? And I'm going to tell you something. In this flesh, it doesn't work. I don't, that, that doesn't work. But the early church learned something. They learned about the power of the filling of the Holy Ghost. The early church was filled. Its membership was filled with the Spirit of God. And as a result, they were able to overcome the natural desire to rebel against the repulsive practice of slavery even. Let me ask you, wouldn't it seem fair then for God to expect us to overcome despite our present plight? I mean, they were commanded not only to endure but, or to put up with slavery. I mean, they were, they were instead to be the best slaves they could be. They were to honor the master, submit to his authority, yield to his will, and serve him with a good spirit. Let me ask you, does God demand any less of us today? I mean, was he harder on them than he is us? Did he say, you know what, you guys are Christians and you're the early church, so I'm going to be really hard on the early church. I'm going to demand you to die to self more than anybody else in history. I'm going to tell you to give up your dreams and give up your desires and give up your heart. I'm going to tell you that you should just simply obey me, follow me, serve me, and trust me with every aspect of your life. But I'm only going to do that to you. That's not how it goes, is it? Of course that's not how it goes. So are we seriously going to tell God that we can't possibly serve him? And we can't possibly serve those he's placed over us? Because the circumstances are just too harsh and unrealistic? Is that what we're going to do then? I mean, let me give you an example. I can't possibly submit to my husband. He's so selfish. Don't protest. Don't march in the streets. Don't demand your freedom. Submit to your master and do it gladly. Like this... He's like a slave driver at home. I can't possibly put up with my wife. She neglects me. She doesn't meet my needs like I think they should be met. Don't protest. Don't march in the streets. Don't demand your freedom. Instead, submit. Yield to your master and do it with a good attitude. Because you have the spirit living in you. You can overcome and do all things. And you will elevate and magnify the Lord Jesus. And if you lift him up, he'll draw all men unto him. That's what it's about. I can't possibly put up with my wife any longer. Yeah, that's really a rough one, isn't it, compared to what they dealt with. I can't possibly obey my parents because they're so unfair. My parents are so unfair, preacher. I can't possibly obey them. They're hypocrites. Well, maybe we could transport you back in time and put you in one of those families and allow you to be a slave a while and see how fair they are. Because the reality is, is that God is saying that 
for Christ's sake. And again, he notes here, he says, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honors. Why? That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Don't bring any reproach on Christ. Don't give him a black eye. Don't make him look bad. Always make him look good. That's what he's saying. No matter what. No matter how difficult, no matter how tough, no matter how trying it could be. And that may sound cruel to you. That may seem unfair to you and unjust. But that is a reality. And may I say that one day, whether you like it or not, you and I will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for our life after we put our faith in Him and we will thank God we obeyed Him and died to self and said, I put Christ first and everything else second, including my own heart. That'll matter then. It doesn't now, maybe, but it will then. Well, I can't possibly be faithful to church. It steals my only day off. Wow. Hmm. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I can't possibly give up that day. That's my only day off, preacher. And I need my relaxation. I need my rest. And I got to get all that stuff done at home that I got to get done. And Oh, I see. Oh, I, I get it. I, I, me, me. But you say, you have no compassion. If you weren't a preacher, if you didn't get paid to come to church all the time, you'd do the same thing. You, you, you probably, you'll never know that. You didn't know me before, but, and I'm not going to even say anything about it. You'll probably go to the media, and they'll say that I wasn't faithful. It's a little dig there. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter what I did or didn't do. Because it's just the Word of God. That's all it is. If tomorrow you found out I took a flight to Tahiti and I spent every penny the church has, it won't change what the Word of God says. Oh, I'd make me a low-down, rotten man. If I come back in town, you ought to try to shoot me. But it wouldn't change what the Word of God says. We need to be in God's house. Oh, I, I can't possibly go soul winning because I don't, I don't like feeling rejected. Oh, okay. Uh, by the way, early church, um, don't protest. You know, don't, don't march in the streets. Don't, no, 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 don't demand your freedom. Simply submit. Yield yourself to them. Why? Because your master's lost. He needs saved. You may be the only one that will reach him. Oh, okay, Lord. The power of the Holy Ghost, I'll do it. And they did it. We struggle with even obeying the simple things. And it's because we feel it's not worth it. What about Christ? We're going to close this out, but we could talk about, I can't possibly continue to teach Sunday school because it requires too much time and effort. I can't possibly stand firm on the Bible. I'd be labeled ignorant and intolerant by others. I can't possibly forgive seeing how horribly, uh, forgive seeing how horribly I've been hurt. 
I can't possibly invest in others because I'm tired of being hurt and, and inconvenienced. I can't possibly be expected to live holy because I could lose my friends and be viewed as different. I can't possibly go to the mission field where my, the standard of living is so different. I can't possibly have a good spirit because my situation is just difficult. Kind of makes all of those excuses we have seem pretty insignificant and really ridiculous, doesn't it? Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. It's funny. They could have said this. You know what they could have said? They could have said, if God was really God and he was so powerful, why are we still in slavery? They could have said that. I mean, we do that, don't we? If God was really God and he's so powerful, then why can't he heal us? Or why can't he take this away from me? Why can't he fix my marriage? And why can't he take care of my kids? And why can't he... And we, we do that. I, I, they may have done that, but I don't read about it. And they were in slavery. Again, the bottom line is this. Those believers who were slaves, they had to walk by faith. They had to exercise restraint. Because I know in their flesh they wanted to stand up and just plow somebody. And you know what? I can understand that completely. But they didn't. Because the most important thing to them was him. Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, he was more important to them than even they were to themselves. They put Christ first. And you want to know something? I got to believe at the judgment seat of Christ, they won't regret that. I'm not telling you that if things aren't going well, you shouldn't say something about it. I'm not saying that you should just put up with things and deal with it. But I'm saying this. There are going to be things in your life the Lord's going to tell you to put up with and deal with, and you're going to be extremely uncomfortable doing it. But he's going to tell you to do that so that he is lifted up. He is going There's going to be a coworker. There's going to be a boss. Listen, we can't even submit to our bosses on earth. They were to submit to a master. The world would go on to see Christ in those believers. They would effectively turn the world upside down. The question is, is this. Does the world see Jesus in you today? Can your employer see a difference that makes a difference? Well, I'm the first one to stand up for everybody's rights. And they don't like me there. I mean, you tell people you're a Christian and everybody hates you there? That, honestly, that doesn't sound right to me. This doesn't sound right. Because that's what they believe Christians are. Big mouths. Always in their face. I'm not talking about standing up for the little guy that's getting hurt and you go in and deal with it the way it ought to be dealt with and you go through the chain of command and you represent or try to encourage or help somebody that's in need. We're not talking about that. 
But when Christ is getting a black eye, when Christ is not being elevated and lifted up in your life, in your testimony, then maybe you ought to think about those slaves back there and realize that it's okay from time to time to take it on the chin for Jesus. It's all right. And as a matter of fact, it's going to be something you better get used to if you're really going to walk with God. Because it's going to happen. There's going to be somebody call you a name, and you're going to want to level them. And you're going to have to go, you know what? My testimony's worth more than getting even with that guy. That's the kind of stuff that's going to happen to you. We don't have time to tell stories, but I'm just going to move along. But again, I thought that there was a tremendous lesson here for us tonight. I mean tremendous. God help us to lift him up, to be willing to say, Lord, I'm just going to submit to you. You're really my master. And I'm going to submit to you, my master. I'm not going to protest what you bring in my life. I'm not going to march against you. And I'm not going to defy you and demand my freedom from you. I'm just going to submit myself to you and yield myself to you and elevate you in the eyes of a world that is lost without Christ. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the word of God. And Lord, again, I'm so glad that the scourge of slavery was addressed in the past, and I'm glad it's been addressed in our country. Because, Lord, that uh, there's nothing good about that.